Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Leanne Grant. Leanne has been an executive at various consumer companies and has launched numerous new projects, new products, and businesses in her career. She's passionate about helping companies grow revenue in a profitable, thoughtful, and aggressive way. Currently, Leanne Grant manages the sales and marketing team at Babylist, leading and commerce destination for Baby, responsible for driving profitable revenue through community growth, partnerships, and the development of new products. Babylist is now driving purchases for over 9 million people each year. She uses her extensive experience in performance and brand marketing to optimize an eight-figure marketing budget with content and brand strategies that support an industry-leading NPS score. A true sleeping giant, Babylist has built a nearly $300 million business around baby registries, transforming from a simple baby registry website to a multifaceted marketplace encompassing e-commerce, content creation, and healthcare resources for the entire family graph. Her greatest passion lies in helping people feel good. She prides herself on being a wellness enthusiast. She's completed an Ironman, so crazy, and four marathons and is a certified yoga instructor and trans Tahoe swimmer. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20 Something. Please welcome Leanne Grant. Hey. Hi. It's so good to see you. I'm so impressed by this insane athletic ability. (laughs) What? That was... In my 20s, speaking of 20-somethings, I was yep. more of an endurance athlete then, and maybe in my wisdom of my 30s, I do yoga and Pilates and sleep a lot, you know, d- a different type love of wellness it. approach. I love it. Yeah, it just changes every decade. Yeah. Exactly. I do none of that, so I think that's amazing. And yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for athletes being high performers in the workplace. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite bosses ever was like, the greatest shout out Lindsay. She's listening. Like one of the greatest soccer players and like super competitive, mm-hmm. top of her game, all through high school, college. And I think it's it actually really bodes well for like team building and you know, willing to put up with not so fun times. You can kind of have the mental resilience. So I'm always impressed when athletes come on the pod. I it's something I can't do. I'm not athletic <laughs> at all. Um, I love walking. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, props to you. Thanks. Actually, one of my most effective, high-performing people who worked for me ever was also a college soccer player. And there's something about soccer players specifically, but also college athletes. And I was not athletic growing up, but I worked. I always worked. So I think there's something. I always try to hire people who are either like athletes in college or worked in college or have something have shown that they can like balance a different bunch of different priorities, get things done, and show their resilience. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, before we get into the meat of the chat, we do start every show with an icebreaker. You can make this as fun and light or as like serious and intense as you want. So it's totally up to you. And you can make it 
personal or professional. What is something new that you've learned in this past week? I do the New York Times mini crossword with my partner every night before bed. And one of the questions recently was, what's the generation after Gen Z? And as a marketer, I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this? I feel like we talk about millennials and Gen Z all the time in marketing. And the answer was Gen Alpha. Alpha. Yeah. You knew that. You knew that. Well, I maybe. Did. maybe I'm just like a little bit closer to that generation. <laughs> yeah. True. I'm not in it. I'm not in a millennial. It. Gen Alpha. Okay. And did it have, what it was like the prompt about it? Did it just say the generation before? Did it give you like any little adjectives about the generation? No, just generation after hmm. Gen Z. What do we know about them? They're, they grew up with technology. I wonder what they're like that's different than Gen Z. I think we're so used to Gen Z being the like up and coming. I imagine Gen Alpha is maybe like 12 or 13 right now as the oldest. I think so. Yeah. Okay. To be honest, the hard thing, well, the fun thing about the mini crossword is it's time-based. So you're trying, our best time ever is 17 seconds. So you, there's no there's no time for curiosity. It's like just performance. And then Interesting. we try to get it done as quickly as possible. Sometimes then we'll be like, oh, I didn't know that. I learned something. And then Google it a little bit more. But it's there's no facts. It's just like quick Yeah, hits. you're going. Yeah, How you're many going. of them are there in the mini? It's on Monday through Saturday. It's like, I think, five by five. And then on Sunday, it's probably an eight by eight. Just a little, a little trickier. Whoa. But 17 seconds is crazy. It's ins- Well, you can only get 17 seconds if you only do like a cross, not down. Like you got to get everyone right and immediately. Wow. It's very stressful. It's <laughs> so, so fun. fun. See, I feel like I need more of those like little games or puzzles that I do on a daily basis. I used to do the Wordle thing when we all were mm-hmm. like excited about it like a year ago, but yeah. that's a good one. I might start doing that. The mini crossword. Okay. It's Thank fun. You for it's the like you feel like you accomplished something. Yeah. Rarely ever do we not finish it, right? It's like not that hard. But you yeah. learn little things. Like there's some polit- there's political notes, there's entertainment notes, there's historical. Like you're you're kind of you're kind of touching on a bunch of different subjects. Yeah, I love that. I think that's awesome. I I used to like Duolingo. I think serves that purpose for people. Like mm-hmm. kind of like that daily challenge of learning a language or like that daily. Like I think we all need that. At least I I love that like ritual of learning. But yeah. feel like with daily life, things get so hectic that sometimes you just like crash and you go to bed. Exactly. Okay. I love it. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. I'm glad. It sounds like you're always learning new things. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's start at the beginning. Obviously, you've had this big career in business and we'll get into all that. But I'd love to know, like as a child, what was your childhood like? What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you have any idea or did you not think about it? Walk me through sort of that like beginning years, you know, up until high school-ish. Yeah. I grew up in Phoenix and it's really hot there. So my time was either swimming outside. I was a synchronized swimmer. What do you mean you weren't athletic? You were a synchronized swimmer? I was only a synchronized swimmer because I wasn't fast enough to like be a, or like I had asthma and allergies and like was kind of a sickly child. So I was like, wasn't, yeah, it was like, okay, I can't do long distance swimming or sprint swimming, but I loved like dance and creative pursuits. So I was actually ranked second in the city of Phoenix for synchronized swimming and started to do it year round. I feel like synchronized swimming is kind of like cheerleading where people don't realize that it's actually like the most intense thing you can do. Like yes. I look at these people underwater, they're carrying each other. They're holding their breath. 
I feel like it's one of the most underrated but extremely challenging in athletic sports. Am I wrong? It's it's so challenging. We used to have to tread water across an Olympic-sized swimming team pool with our arms up, like hands out, can't touch the water. And the funny thing, maybe this, I'm just having this insight now about synchro is you have to like work really hard with a smile on your face the entire time. And so you, you know, in tennis, you're like, oh, like you can show how hard you're working in synchro. No, you're, you're smiling. You're cute. I'm sure my therapist would have like something to say about maybe that's not. Yeah, we, we can tease out something there that you've continued <laughs> that trend or something. Yeah. Well, I think it is. It does serve you in the workplace where sometimes you have to like keep your cool, be level-headed, not make a big deal. And so maybe I got that from Synchro. How long did you do that for? So you did Synchro for, you got to second. Yeah. yeah so multiple summers in the row, we kind of did, it was like a summer, summer team type thing. And then I did one year of year round Synchro. So like club, clubs. Good for you. I also, I randomly have a very soft spot in my heart for Phoenix. My twin lives there. And like my whole dad's side of the family comes from slash lives in slash we all gather in Phoenix. So I actually know it really well and go there very often. So, yeah. Wait, we're in Phoenix. What little city? Or Phoenix, Phoenix. In Phoenix, yeah, North Central. So like 7th Avenue, Northern area. Yeah, Yeah. I know where that is. Okay, so Phoenix, a bit of synchro. What else? Tell me more. Tons of reading. So like when it's hot out, you're either in the the AC all summer – I was playing video games and watching TV, but mostly I was actually a big reader. I would just, even when we had friends over or family over, would just kind of crawl into my room and read a book. So I loved, I loved reading. I wanted to be a writer. And both of those things were just like about creativity, creative pursuits. I love that. What, what kinds of books did you like to read? Were there any specific authors or books that you look back on that were super formative for you? The Babysitter's Club series. Of course. The best. <laughs> I think it was like, I think I read every single one of those. I'm sure there's more now, but my sister, cousin, and I like kind of schemed together to get every single book and then we would lend them to each other. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Our little library. But I loved, I was a big babysitter too. That was my first job. So like loved kids, loved female friendship, loved kind of the, the coming of age stories they had. What else did I love? Oh, I used to love the, those like kind of choose your own adventure stories where you could, did you ever read those? You'd be like, okay, do you want to go? I don't know. Should, should you go to India or China? And then it would say India page 35 and China page 50. And then you could like, there were like 10 or 20 or 50 different stories, depending on which adventure you chose. It was very creative and fun. I think they're doing that a little bit with streaming now. Like I know there are some kind of like experimental shows where you do that. I, I'm a big control person. Mm. I don't love like, you know, unknowns. And I would have had to read like every scenario, you know yeah. what I mean? And that would have like defeated the purpose. So like, not all out on a diary. Yeah. Like, I do option one. Go, okay. Yeah. Totally. And I was like, oh yeah. Like the likelihood of someone choosing India because it comes before this. Oh, they're going to do that. Like I'm doing like a statistical thing. Like I don't. Okay. But okay. So choose your own adventure, babysitter's club. Okay. But it was basically just like a love of reading from a very young age, did you want to write like young adult books or did you just know you like loved reading and wanted to write anything and it wasn't that specific? Not necessarily young adult books. I was just like, oh, I like, I did like writing. I journaled a lot. I thought I wanted to be an actress too. 
so we would, I don't know if every kid did this, but put on a lot of shows. We had like our video camera, cooking shows and plays and just like a lot of, a lot of creativity. I love that. Um, and when you say we, you mentioned a cousin and a sister. Who's the we? Yeah, mostly, mostly my sister, my cousin, who's my same age and then a couple other cousins. But yeah, we spent a lot of time together. Oh, that's so fun. We love growing up around cousins too. That's just like the best because it's just more kids. Okay, very cool. So you grew up in very hot Phoenix. Mm -hmm. You love reading. You think you want to be a writer, maybe an actress. Also, this like low-key athletic thing that like we're downplaying, but I think compared to the general (laughs) population is crazy, especially considering what you do now. And then you go to college. Mm -hmm. And what where where did you go? What was it like? What'd you major in? Walk us through all that. So I went to Northwestern, which is outside mm-hmm. Chicago. I had like considered staying in state. It's cheaper. It's easy. Or going to, I got into UCLA and really liked, was like familiar with LA and like Southern California. Arizona people spent a lot of time there. And I think I was afraid. I think UCLA would have been great for me, actually. It was kind of similar I knew people going there, kind of similar culture. LA is pretty similar to Phoenix, but I felt like I really wanted to challenge myself, like get outside of my bubble. And Northwestern has cold weather as far away and had people who were very different than me. And so decided to go there. It was a, it was like a hard adjustment for me. And I was lucky that my best friend from high school also went there. So I had kind of a bit built in social network, but I just was, I think, pretty sheltered in Phoenix. And I'm very, I'm very introverted and was very shy at the time. And so was kind of overwhelmed by, you know, the noise of the big city of Chicago and all these people. And so it took me a little bit to kind of find my niche in terms of what I was studying and like my friend group and all of that. Yeah, I think one of the perks of doing something so different is that it is so different and you get a real culture shock and you get to meet new types of people. But that also comes with the downsides of, oh, wow, I'm not as comfortable and this will take a while Mm -hmm. to adjust to. And maybe that first year is a bit slower and a bit harder. And I think it's just pros and cons. And then, but then obviously if you stay close to home, it's amazing because family's nearby and all that good stuff, but you're maybe not really pushing yourself. So you kind of can't win either way and you just got to do what feels right for you. How did you find psychology, which is what I know you ended up majoring in? And I also saw, did some digging and found you were a big uh, sorority girl. So <laughs> <laughs> tell me more about like sorority and psychology and, and kind of like, like, it sounds like you really ended up finding your place towards the end of your time there and finding something that was interesting, at least to say, I love psychology. I think it's so fascinating. More people yeah. in business should study it. But yeah, walk me through some of those other like activities and major and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with the sorority. As I said, I, was, I felt a little lost my freshman year. Northwestern does lo- does rush like the second half of freshman year, which is nice because you can kind of find your own group and then decide if you want to join a sorority or fraternity. And I made some great friends in the sorority and I lived there a couple years and I was president my junior year. And I think that I always tell people it was one of the wildest and best leadership positions I've ever had because I was in charge of like marketing the sorority and operations. And I had regular meetings on like our budget with our, and ran the building, like our, the house we all lived in um, and had to work with alumni relations or you could call it investor relations in the business world. And 
So I had like this kind of broad set of responsibilities, which is a lot for somebody who's 21. And I had to live with and like drink with and be friends with my direct reports. And punish. Uh, like And punish. The- that's what people forget is like, oh, you're like the one that's like, we had called it standards. I don't know what you guys called it, but like the disciplinary yes. board. Yeah. And I actually, some of the seniors didn't like me and they tried to like, there was a little bit of a coup when I was president. Like they were trying to, I don't know, oust me. Yeah. Um, and I had to see them, like they'd, they'd get mad at me or there'd be, you know, a, somebody get disciplined. And then the next morning you're brushing your teeth and you see them in the bathroom. Like there's just no, you can't be a conflict avoider. You can't, you just got to face your fears in a sorority. <laughs> it's an interesting social experiment though, because yeah. like, it's really, it's very traumatizing. I think for the people that have to like switch these hats. Like I had a couple of good friends that were like you presidents and like, mm-hmm. they look back on their experience and it was just like, it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's, it sounds like you're able to manage it well, but some people they're not built for that. And they, it's really, really overwhelming. Yeah. I think it, it was very hard at the time. And looking back almost, you know, 15 years later uh, as a leader, I'm like, oh, I have to, this stuff is easy now. Cause at least I don't have to see these people. Yeah. In comparison. Brushing their teeth in the shower. Like I, there's like, there is some separation from each other. So. Yeah. So that was a big part of college experience. I worked throughout all of college. Um, I did work study helped kind of fund my education and um, I'm happy to talk more about that, but I think that Yeah, was- what'd you do? What were like, what was like the craziest job that you look back on and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> the <laughs> best anything super was, boring, like, whatever. Check- also yeah. library boring. is part of it. Yeah. Boring was like checking people into the gym because you could just do homework. But the really formative job was I, I got the best job on campus, which was working at the executive MBA program. So Northwestern's business school and some other business schools have these programs for people kind of later in their career and they fly in for the weekend every other week and they like do their business school degree while being a VP at Google or whatever. And the reason it was a great work study job was one, primarily the building was really fancy. And so a friend of mine and I worked there together, or actually two of them, and we got to like study in the, in the empty, you know, like when somebody wasn't using a conference room. And the second was there was free coffee and food. And when you're a college, it was just like unlimited coffee. Yeah. And then the third was probably like networking with business. But definitely third. The other two definitely come above that. It was just like, you know, free stuff, free stuff in college. And that just, I actually, so I, sorry, I'm going to take a little diversion. I was a psychology and legal studies double major. And that was, I love psychology because I love learning. I was so curious about people and still am. And I love learning what makes them tick. And I love kind of psychological theory and how it affects now organizations and like the bystander effect and confirmation bias and all these things that we learn that I see play out now in work. But I was also really interested in kind of like social justice and how like the government works. Um, And so I had this other major in legal studies, which Northwestern had a really good program in and thought about being a lawyer and started studying that for the LSAT and all of that. And then one of my business school students was, I don't know, in his mid thirties. And he sat me down one day and he said, Leanne, you'd be an awful lawyer and you'd hate it. You hate authority. You like, 
want, you like to work hard, but not all the time. And lawyers lives are really hard. And he was like working at Yahoo at the time and was like, you should come work in tech. You would love it. You'd have so much fun. You should go the wow. business legal path. So he changed my life. Because of that one conversation. And this was someone you met through that executive MBA gig. Yep, exactly. He was a student. Yeah, he was a student in the program and said, Wow. Hey, I've seen you. I worked there for a couple of years. So he's like, got to know me. And he said, I just don't think you want to be a lawyer. That's so powerful. And I think not enough people pick, I mean, it's definitely luxury, but to be able to pick your job so that you're meeting these kinds of people. Like I threw a conference in college randomly and Mm. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like the ultimate networking thing that also was like a resume builder. Yeah. And I feel like we don't talk enough about that. Like it's great to have the front desk gym job where you can do your homework, but even more so, how can you get paid to meet the right people and like get paid to network? Like even some of these cold calling jobs, like at the alumni center, sometimes you get yelled at and screamed at, like don't, you know, (laughs) I don't want to give you my money, but sometimes you get people on the phone who you ask them for advice, like, Hey, like I'm a, you know, a business major or I'm a pre-med or I'm a, you know, and like, I feel like people don't think enough about that component, like how important that is. Cause it can completely change the trajectory of, of what you do after. Totally. Yeah. It's like, I think college is so focused on like get a good grades and make good friends and then get a good job. And I think people say it's about network. I mean, it's not really set up for that. And the, I learned in business when I went to business school, actually, that the best network is not your closest friends. It's like two connections away from you. And yeah. that's, yeah, like the opportunities in college or even later on to say, oh, I'm going to meet somebody who's five years ahead of me in school or like we have something in common, but they have more expertise or insight or power or whatever the thing is you're looking for. I love that. Yeah. Weak ties versus strong ties, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So after college... What did you decide you wanted to do then? So you're like, okay, I'm going to go into tech, drop mm-hmm. the writing thing, drop the lawyer thing. Like those can mm-hmm. be things you're passionate about on the side, which I yeah. think is really important. What? Tell me about like those like early formative years. What were those first few jobs? Yeah. So my my first kind of real job. So I stayed, I worked that internship and then I actually graduated early from Northwestern, but wanted to stay oh, wow. on to hang out with my friends. So I graduated in December or finished schooling in, in December and stayed on. So I actually joined that internship full-time, which was just a nice kind of transitional job. I knew it wasn't a career, you know, progressor, but it turns out you don't always need to be moving up in in your career. I think people think they need to be moving up every single day. Wait, let's, let's pause on that for a sec. Cause I actually think that's something people need to hear more of. What do you have any more philosophy around that? Like people thinking they always need to be moving up. How do you approach that kind of like always moving up versus staying stagnant? Or is this more you referring to like being in your twenties? No, I, Oh, I think I am a huge believer. I think some people talked about, have talked about career progression is like a jungle gym, not a ladder. Like you should be comfortable moving across or up or not just up. I think for me, there've been times in my career in the past and like times I want in my career in the future where I'm just kind of, being and existing and not doing and progressing. And I mean, that's like a philosophical desire to, to be present and like appreciate my current coworkers or current work and not always be like, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? There's also other priorities that come up. Like if you're having kids or you're getting married or you just like want to enjoy a nice salary and travel a lot, 
Like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like there's other things, but not enough people talk about that, especially everyone we have on this show is very successful in their own way. Mm-hmm. You don't usually hear them saying, oh, it's okay if maybe like, you know, a little bit, you just kind of are present and just chill. Yeah. It's cause it, I just, I mean, I think they say this about dating. When you stop looking, you'll find someone. Yep. Who knows if that's actually true. I think for work, sometimes if you stop being like, when am I going to get promoted? When am I going to get promoted? You'll get promoted. I do think there's this, there's this, when people are so focused on progressing, they're just angsty and they're like, maybe they're so focused on that part of the role. They actually can't be effective in, in the company or like learning or being curious about other functions or teams and, and, or other parts of their life, as you're saying. And I just feel like those tend to be the people that I, I'm now in my later thirties. Like I have friends who are like, well, I've made it now. Like I, I, I got the job I wanted. What's next? Like I'm done. I climbed the ladder and felt like, oh, I didn't have the time in my twenties to travel or hang out with friends or whatever. And then now they're like, I've achieved my goal, but I'm not happy because turns out like having a great job doesn't make you happy. Turns out. Sadly. Nobody told us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Flash forward. It, you're not, not going to make you happy. Okay. So, so early then you were like, I am going to chill, enjoy my friends. Love that you had this perspective in college too. Cause not a lot of people do just enjoy until, you know, June ride this out. Yeah. But then you did end up going into kind of the tech world and yep. you've done a range of more startupy and bigger corporate. How'd you get that first gig? So my first job after this, this job was at Google and this was like, Google had IPO'd, but it was still kind of earlier Google. I was going to say, Google was like Googling though. Like it was yeah. still like really like Google. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the best job you could get yeah. out of college. I knew some people who had, who like went there right out of college. So I'd gotten this advice from Matt who said, Hey, I don't think you should be lawyer. I think you should work at tech. I was like, great. Let me make a list of tech companies. It was like Google, Microsoft, Yahoo. Yahoo, I think was like pretty cool too then. And I reached out to people I knew at those various companies, applied online, and I got pretty set on Google. And I like read all the books and I prepared for the interview and I flew out and I got the job and moved out from Chicago to San Francisco. And I loved it. It was, I think it was actually the things I didn't get out of college. I got out of Google. Like I, I've always liked working over learning. So I loved working. I loved making progress. At the time, it was just a bunch of like 22, 23 year olds working together. And I made lifelong friendships with them. And I know a lot of people in their 20s like to work at startups. It's like, that's the thing to do. I don't know. I think working at Google for me was so great. It was stable. I They had like amazing training and frameworks. And I just learned how to work. Like I learned how to get feedback and give feedback. I learned how to like kind of run a company. And like, I learned from some really amazing, smart people who like knew what they were doing. It was like an apprenticeship. Like you were literally like kind of all the business buckets that you do need to know eventually you were able to get at this big, stable, well-respected place. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, I, I reckon I work at a startup now, but I always recommend to people to like have that job where you're really being, they invest so much money in you in terms of training and conferences and all of that stuff. And I think I, I learned, I was there for about three and a half years more in that time than I did at like some, some other startups. 
Yeah, I also think when you're in those early years, like let's say pre-26, you're just a sponge. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just like, you know nothing. So like everything feels like a massive, like, oh my God, marketing. Like what even is marketing? How do you even think about growth marketing, paid marketing, organic marketing, Literally. channels? Oh my, CAC, what is this? Like if you're so, like you're at zero, so like anything bumps you. And then yeah. once you kind of have the baseline, anything above that's kind of like, huh, okay. But it's just more like smaller incremental versus like the step change. Yeah. That's so cool. I think what's interesting now about the economy, and obviously it's so different whenever you enter the workforce, but some of these big tech companies aren't as stable as they once were because yes. you see, you know, kind of this first in, first out mindset where a lot of them like, you know, had offers, they got rescinded. Mm-hmm. They're not really bringing on kind of these like newer folks. And so yeah. it's kind of weird how you're a little bit more stable, actually, if you go to a startup that's reached a certain level of funding and like has a good business model. Right. than some of the tech companies. And it's just because of the economy, obviously. It's just the timing of it. But it's interesting how things change just depending also when you pop out of college. Yeah, you know? So I graduated in 2006 and joined Google in 2007. So we had the 2008 recession. Mm. We did have layoffs. And I remember that I will never forget that day, just like sitting around and seeing people get pulled into the offices. But you survived it, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. So that was really tough. But to your point too, like I'm at a I'm at a startup now. We haven't done a round of layoffs or profitable and growing. So it's just hard to, I think when you're 22 to like really assess the financial wherewithal of a company. Yes. So I would, <laughs> you know, if you could do That's that, maybe, point. you know, join a hedge fund or something. Exactly. Yeah. If your financial um, acumen is that great, you shouldn't probably be doing that anyway. Okay. So then, and then I know you got your MBA at some point and you mm-hmm. worked at a few other companies, Pop Sugar, Brandless. When did the MBA kind of fall in there and why did you decide to go get additional schooling? So I, oh, actually I have one other point on Google. Yeah, My sure. Go. Job, the thing they hired us for was responding to any chat on Google and answering the phone 8662Google. So anybody could call 8662Google. This is Leanne. How can I help you? People would say, I'm locked out of my Gmail account. I'm like, oh, you forgot your password? Let me help you. This is not a glamorous job at all. Like, customer so, support. Customer support. Customer support, yeah. They said it was like online sales and operations and account management, but like you were responding to emails and I think people should work in customer support. I learned so much about communication and, well, I guess there's two lessons there. One, work in customer support, like get to know your users, get to know how to talk to users, get to know how to communicate, how to write a really good email. And the other one is like, be humble. I knew what I was getting out of the Google job. I was getting Google on my resume and I was learning a lot, but like the actual core function was like, I think people were like, oh my gosh, you're doing customer support. Like all these people who went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford and Northwestern, you could be like a director of marketing at a startup. But I think I learned more than the director of marketing. So like, it's okay to have like, not the fanciest job as long as you're learning or getting something. I love that. And I would even argue too, at startups, the most important job that I think the founder should have for quite a long time is supporting customer support and understanding like the member experience. Cause like you cannot build a successful startup if you are not obsessed with your customers or members or whatever you call them. So I would even say like, regardless of like the big corporate Google thing or like the startup thing, like if you have that skill set, you can be humble enough to respond to tickets, like that's worth gold. And you'll also be the person everyone goes to and says, hey, what are the problems people are experiencing? Hey, what are the things that aren't clicking from a messaging standpoint? Hey, what's the, you're like the go-to person. Yeah. We do this a lot at Babyless. We like 
say, hey, don't stop looking at the data. Just call one of the people. Like you're seeing, oh, the conversion rate's low. Just send them an email and ask them why they didn't convert. Or, you know, you're trying to figure out a new product. You don't need to do 100 surveys and A-B tests. Just go talk to 10 of our users and ask them what they want. Like we're, yeah. we try to be so, so user focused because to your point, it's like, it's what the founder should be doing and it's what like the whole team should be doing is actually like, and that's the psychology part of it too, right? It's like understanding people and what makes them tick yeah, um, and having kind of like judgment and nuance there is incredibly important. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, that brings it back to the psychology thing. Yeah. We need to like start like a psychology for business professionals, like mini course or something. Cause I swear <laughs> it's like more people need to understand this stuff. I was on a panel last week. I'm just chatting about AI and we yeah. talked, we were talking about kind of what jobs are going to go away or be impacted by AI, by AI. And we all landed on like all of them, like yeah, every single function. And so the people, the only way to like really succeed and stand out in a world of AI is to be really good with people because that's going to be the job is you can like use ChatGPT, write a press release, write an email, write a, write code, write an accounting memo, write a process. But if you can't engage with other people and understand other people, you'll fail. So I think that this psychology majors are going to kill it in the world of AI. I have to send you something after this chat that I wrote (laughs) and I published on Friday about sort of like how not just with AI, but with like all the no code tooling and stuff, it's really easy to create a company. And mm-hmm. like, it'll be really easy to perform job functions, create a company, whatever. And so like, if anyone can create software and like anyone can do their job well, because they've got all these t- this tooling now, which we spent the past like 20 years building, mm-hmm. what's going to separate the winners and the losers? Not just yeah. employees, but companies too. And th- my whole argument is around like basically community and like people mm-hmm. and humans and, and like what that looks like kind of for this next decade. So we have to chat more about this offline because I think so many people are asking these questions and we struggle with the language. At least I do. I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I struggle with the language around this stuff. Yeah. And so like coining terminology that resonates, I think is really important. So. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So you asked me about my career. Sorry. Oh, yes. I left, I left Google to go to business school because I felt like I was getting a little soft in some ways. Like I was oh. like, oh, I could, I love technology. I love this company. And I could see myself staying here for like. 30 years. And I just wanted something more. And I could have, you know, gone to a different tech company, or I could have gone to a business school in the Bay Area. But I was really trying to think long term. And I was like, I think I just want to be aware of other industries, and other jobs and have friends who don't work in tech. And so I went to Yale, I went back east, where I was like one of the few people who had worked in tech and who wanted to work in tech, but instead had classmates who worked in at nonprofits and in finance and in ener- like clean energy and sustainability um, and in CPG and like all of these different. So learned a lot about those industries and like developed a network outside of tech. That's so powerful. I loved it. And then I came back and worked in tech again, but I still have, I still have friends and contacts like all of these different places, which I think has been really valuable to me. You can also just make sure that you like tech. Like there's nothing wrong with being like, hey, I work in CPG. Like I think I like it a lot, but I want to make sure. Go mm-hmm. to business school, meet all these people, learn the industries and go like, yeah, I'm good. Now I, I know. You know, it's like a you want to see the lay of the land and then, you know, you're like, okay, yep, I'm still confident with where I'm going. But it's exactly. nice to have that time to gut check, meet other people, all that stuff and see if you do want to pivot or if you're good with where you're going. Yeah, exactly. That's a good description. Cool. Okay. So that was in between Google and Pop Sugar. Mm-hmm. 
And then you were at Pop Sugar and Brandless. Mm -hmm. Throwback to Brandless. Okay, so speaking of that conference, Tina Sharkey came to the conference. Oh, she did. She did. What like was that conference? USC, Own It, okay. Women's Conference. Yeah. So I know Brandless because I know Tina from then. Like, how were those experiences? I know both, I'm sure, very different, right? One's mm -hmm. like a media company. And how, how would yeah. you describe Brandless? It was, we called it a dis disruptive CPG company, but it was actually okay. an e-commerce company. Right. Yeah. Okay. What it really was, was like an incredible brand and media company. Like we built an incredible brand with incredible creative that like got a ton of press. People loved it. Like great community, social media. I think the design was fantastic. I'm also really good friends. You guys did Red them. Antler, right? Yep. Yep. I worked with them for a startup too. So I, I remember they do great brand. They did like Hinge and Allbirds and yep. yeah. Birchbox, um, I want to say. Yeah. And like a bunch of the, yeah, the D to C. Maybe Warby Parker. Yeah. Yes, I think so. So yeah, we, we built this incredible brand and like belief and community and, but the business model was e-commerce. And for people listening, it was, the concept was kind of all of your everyday essentials, but under one brand that you always knew was better for you. So mostly organic or clean or compostable products. So you didn't have to kind of get to know there are a lot of different brands out there in that space. And you didn't have to like assess, is this product actually organic? You could kind of trust brandless because we had, I think at the end, like three or 400 SKUs. So all like your beauty products and your consumables or like kitchen products. And then we raised a ton of money, we raised $290 million within a, like a year of launching super yeah. quick. It was SoftBank, right? Yeah, SoftBank. That's when you, when you have SoftBank written on the cap table, you know that's because you've raised so much money that they're the only people who can continue funding. Exactly, yeah. They're like, let's write you a $250 million check. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the, for people that are listening, that's like the WeWork. If you've seen that documentary, that's, Mas, what, how do you say the name? Masayoshi-san? How do you say yeah, his I, name? Yeah, I think Ma. Ma Maha? Masi. Masi. Yeah, it's Masi for yeah, short. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was a wild ride. I was there for less than two years, but it felt like five in that we did so much. We're growing so quickly, but then we weren't profitable and like had no real path. Like the unit economics were not set up for any, any way to be profit profitable other than drastically increasing the prices. But um, it also launched a kind of, I think in the marketing world, a time where online advertising is getting so much more expensive. Like yeah. Used to, just used to, I don't know, six, eight years ago, run some Facebook ads and Google ads and you can build a business. That's like not true anymore. And so it's just kind of tough timing there. And so they liquidated. The, I left and then about, I think six months later, a year later, they liquidated. This was like 2018-ish, right? When was mm -hmm. this? Yep. Yeah. It was right yeah. before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And then your title there, you had social impact in the title, which I think is really mm -hmm. interesting. And I also think your titles have all been very interesting because they're not all the same. Like yeah. chief business, chief growth, head of biz dev, head of social impact. Like talk to me a little bit about the social impact title. I say this is someone I rarely see that. Yeah. Like what was that role? Like it was, I think it's head of biz dev and social impact, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that we believed was really core to brandless was giving back to the community. And so before launch, we developed a, partnership with Feeding America, which is the largest network of food banks and food pantries in the U.S. 
And we said, we want to like create all these great products and maybe similar to the Tom's model, every time you purchase on Brandless, we'll donate a meal to Feeding America. So you always felt like you were giving back. And that was part of really the brand and marketing of Brandless was that this like desire to do good in the world and give back. And so my role was leading that relationship with Feeding America and thinking about kind of holistically, how do we build our social impact muscle and have that apply in terms of marketing and employee engagement and investor relations and new product launches. It was really kind of kind of like a GM role where it was yeah. thinking about, I think sometimes people say CSR and it sits under the people org or it's, oh, we should volunteer. It's good for employees, which is true. My role was thinking about how can we use this relationship and this goal across like basically every single thing we do and have it be an engine that like fuels the business, not just a cost center. Like, is this a growth engine for us? Um, yeah. And it, it really was. We were able to do a lot of cool things that did good in the world and also um, improve the business. I think that's what people don't realize is like, of course, you ended up at the end struggling a bit with the unit economics, but people think that, oh, from day one, having some sort of social impact piece is just going to only be a cost center, like you said. Yeah. But in reality, actually, it can be a really creative way to like tap into the community and get new customers and all that good yeah. stuff. And we've done some cool things related to that at Babyless, where I am now, where we yeah. say we work with an organization called Baby to Baby. The best. Everyone best. knows the celebrity gala. Duh. Exactly. So cool. <laughs> And we donate like kind of unused products and we donate funds and we do that out of the good of our hearts. But we also use those, the, that as kind of a opportunity to spread the word about Babyless. So we'll, we partnered with Halsey when she was pregnant a few years ago and we donated money in her honor and she did an Instagram post about us. So we kind of are able to like spread the news about Baby to Baby and the do good work they're doing and the news about Babyless and do good in the world. So it's this what do you call that? One, two punch or something. I think I love it. I think the creative partnerships piece is so key. When we were talking mm -hmm. about community building, like whether it's nonprofits, whether it's entertainment, whether it's even like policy government stuff, like having those people that can spread the word in their own community is so important. And yeah. you guys are doing a great job of that at Baby List. Well, there's a lot more we could discuss, mm -hmm. but I want to be mindful of your time. So I have two final questions. The first is like, How's it going at Baby List? Like this shows a lot about your 20s. So I wanted to get into all that, you know, <laughs> nitty gritty. But like, obviously you're crushing it now. Chief growth at Baby List. Your name's everywhere. Like, you know, I always see you guys are doing cool stuff and partying with great folks. How do you like it? What are you guys oh. offering? What are you doing? Give it like us a little spiel for our listeners. It's great. So we'll, in terms of the business, we've really evolved from kind of just a baby registry into this destination for anyone with growing families. So that means... Grandma can use us, best friend can use us, expecting parents. And that means while only three million, three and a half million babies are born every year, so there's a limited set of parents, a lot more people actually have a baby in their life, <laughs> turns out. Turns out. I think we all maybe have a baby in our life for the most part. I always do the thing at conference where I'm like, raise your hand if you're pregnant or you're a new mom or a new parent few people and then raise your raise your hand if you know anybody who's had a baby in the last year and everybody raises their hand right so it's we're really engaging with so many more users and we have content for them and email lists for them and all that and then we've actually expanded to serve a lot more needs for our life stage audience so having a baby isn't just about buying the stuff you need 
um, which is where we started. It's not just about getting the stroller in the car seat. It's about navigating health insurance. And so we have a new product where you can, we help you get your breast pump for free through insurance. And anyone who has worked with insurance knows that that process can be really clunky. And so we've made it a lot easier. We help you pick out what breast pump works for you. And then we submit the insurance for you. So we're doing more in health. And then we're also acquired a company last year called Expectful. And Expectful is this great brand and platform um, all about health and wellness. So when you have a baby, it can be, you can have mental health struggles. You can, um, there's baby loss, there's a lot of stress, and there's a lot kind of going on with your body. And we're building Expectful to be this brand where you get a lot more information about like what's going on. And you can talk to your OB, but like, can we give you more unbiased, validated easy to read or listen to information about your mind and body. So we're really just trying to help support the expecting a new parent on that journey through mental health and, and wellness information. Yeah. It's so powerful to like expand past just the products world and get into like software and digital health. And like, it's just so cool to see that you guys are branching out. And also it sounds like preserving the brand of expectful. Like a lot of the yeah. times, obviously when companies get acquired, they kind of just get eaten up. Yep. But you guys are keeping that community alive, which I think is also really cool. Exactly. Yeah. So we we're, we're we're growing, we're profitable. We'll we did nine hundred million dollars in GMV last year. So we're a pretty big business. Yeah. Nice. And we're having a lot of fun. Like we're you know, we're talking about babies all day. It's Yeah, cute. it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. And you get to speaking about, you know, female friendships, just to circle it all the way back earlier. <laughs> like women are awesome and like that's so fun, you know? Okay, last question for you. I feel like I could talk endlessly about your interesting journey, but maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point. You've given lots of advice throughout this chat about kind of what your journey what would have done differently or advice you have for other folks. What's that one piece of advice you would give to every 20-something? And regardless of whether or not they want to be a, you know, working in business or a writer or a lawyer or whatever, but that one piece of advice that you would give to every 20-something? Hey, just slow, like slow down life is short. Enjoy it. I feel like everybody's kind of like, oh, you know, this like what's next mentality. When am I going to get promoted? When am I going to get married? When am I going to have a kid? When am I going to buy the house? I did this interesting class during COVID by Dr. Lori Santos. It was like the most popular class at Yale and they brought it online and it's called the science of well-being. Yeah. It's called the happiness class. Yeah. It's so good. And the, the, all it says is like, you think that losing weight, getting rich, getting married, having a baby, getting a great job, all these things are going to make you happy. None of them make you happy. Meditate, get out in nature, journal, be grateful. Well, everything you're just saying, we literally started a company with those 10 habits, gratitude, nature, connection, whatever, and helping people adopt those because you're a hundred percent right. Like people think it's a lot more than that. But it's really just the fundamentals. It is. It's like, that's all that matters. It's Drinking easy. enough water, eating, yeah, totally. connecting with people. Thank you for being here. This was so fun. I like, it was so great to learn more about your background and you. Can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and learn more about Baby List? So related to Dr. Lori Santos, I don't use Facebook or Instagram or any of those. Okay. Social media is good for mental health, but I am on LinkedIn. So feel free to add me or follow me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And then babylist.com, I imagine? Yes, babylist.com. Easy. Check us out. We're hiring. Amazing. Ooh, hiring. Okay. For those of you looking for a job, you get to work with Leanne. 
Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.